Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so, allow on the foundation of the covenant of blood to be lifted to reach higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, fears, phobias, depressions, demonic dependencies, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation. Let us give us more from your Spirit and fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. You may be seated. Beloved Church of God, I greet you with the words of Apostle Paul as he writes, May the grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ abound. The place of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Called to perfection. This is the Sunday sermon of Pastor Arkady, and it was spoken by Pastor Arkady almost three years ago. But each time when we hear and we are immersed in this word, we always see something new, something new that is open to us, greater and deeper. Because this word is anointed by the Holy Spirit, for which has been paid the price of death and resurrection. That's why it is alive and works. And as is written in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, knowing this, though no prophecy in Scripture And so we're going to be immersed in this, uh, in these riches of Christ that are given to us, the chosen remnants of God, through these great gifts that God has placed in the church. And we know that these great gifts are apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors. And this promise commandment written in Matthew is presented to us in the series Apostles or Apostle Arkadi. It is the inheritance of saints of all time and generations. And it is a, this commandment is addressed by Christ himself toward his disciples. And therefore, those that do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. 
Let's focus our attention to these words. Therefore, those who do not acknowledge the authority of a person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment. This is the biggest tragedy of Christianity because we see that many are called, but few are chosen. There are few of those that make the decision to pay this price, to pay this price and follow after those whom God has established. And here is what Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And here we see that only through the acceptance of the word and the teaching of all wisdom and the preached word of apostles, a person can become perfect in Christ Jesus. And here is how Apostle John unveils this thought in his message. First John chapter 2. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that they might be manifest, that none of them were of us. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. And here, if we ask the question, how can we abide in the Father and Son? And this answer is in the verse itself. If you abide in that which you heard from the beginning, then you will abide in the Father and the Son. What we have heard from the beginning, John writes in chapter 1, verses 1-3, through three, about what we have heard about in the beginning. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. That life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And so we see that Apostle John says, have fellowship, and our fellowship is with His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, only by dwelling and being disciples and being in complete obedience to the preached word of apostles and prophets, dwelling with them in one spirit and in one-mindedness, we can be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so, again, let us repeat this place of scripture. And this is a promise commandment. It is the inheritance of saints of all time. 
and it is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those that do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment, nor can they. And with regard to the fulfillment of this commanding commandment, we stopped at the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person. What goals is the righteousness of God called to pursue that dwells in our heart? And in part, the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the Brooklyn Tablets of Testimony, in which we, with the law, died to the law so that we could live for the one who died and rose, so that in this manner we could receive the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of testimony in the format of the law of the Spirit of life, in order to give God the basis to give us the promise, not with the former law, to be heirs of peace, but through righteousness of faith, just like he had given to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. We have noted that the righteousness of faith is defined as the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, presented in the preached word of the messengers of God, at the head of which is a person who represents for us the fatherhood of God. And therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey and submit to the order of God, according to which He sends to us His word through the mouths of the, pro of the messengers of God. Let us again, let's take a look at one example written in Acts chapter 10, where God sends His word through the, mouths of, through the mouth of, of Peter. Now, there's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what to find. We see the characteristic of him that this is a godly man, God-fearing with all his household, who had always prayed to God. But it was necessary. That planted word, that planted word was needed to have salvation. And then when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. 
And when they came in the house, when Peter came, then it says that when Peter, uh, he called them, and on the other day, he went out and he came with him. And some of the brothers went with him. And the next day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius waited for them, calling his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered in, Cornelius met him, and he fell at his feet. Peter brought him up and up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Peter said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And when Peter preached and he continued his word, the Holy Spirit came upon all of those that listened to the word. And the witnesses of all things which he had did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witness witnesses chosen before by God. We see that the promise of the peace of God is given to only those people who submit to the order of God according to which he sends us his word through the mouth of his messengers. Thus, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messengers of God. To test a person whether or not God has truly sent him to represent his word to us should be done by the powers of messengership in the established order of God and according to the anointing in our heart. To know the voice of God in the lips of a person who represents for us the fatherhood of God. And also, to test a person for the fatherhood of God should be done according to the anointing that dwells in his words in the format of two kinds of wisdoms that give the opportunity to acknowledge the inheritance of saints in the building of the new Jerusalem in the format of the new man. And the ability to see the sign of times in parables and works of God in the events of the past and to unite with this, this past with this present and future, we will read in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18-20 through 20 and 26. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and that they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. It is according to the anointing that we can define what is from God and what is not. Where is the truth and where is a forgery? Of course, this is all under the condition that the Word of God dwells in our heart in the format of the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And so through the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace is called to dwell and be in the heart of a person evidence that we are the children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace that dwells in a covenant of peace is, in fact, the treasury of our hope in God, containing 
the bond of all the promises of God, the realization of which is the goal of the righteousness given to us. And so how can we realize the promise of God in our lives? It is specifically through the righteousness given to us, through the faith of heart and the proclamation of our lips, considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent as existent. God imputes this to us as righteousness, and in this manner we realize the promise of God in our life. It is specifically righteousness through the peace of God contained in a covenant of peace that can and is called to keep our thoughts and our hearts in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-7 through seven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, able to keep our thoughts in Christ Jesus, are the thoughts renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. According to these words, it follows that people who refuse the conditions in which the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renew their thinking with the spirit of their mind have no relation whatsoever to the peace of God, nor can they. And therefore, these people have no relation to the sons of peace, who through the peace of God inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We must firmly note or firmly acknowledge that only through the cooperation of our spirit with our renewed thinking found in Christ Jesus are we called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ. However, to look at the righteousness of faith and the realization of the inheritance of the peace of God and the conditions that highlight how can our righteousness be clothed in the success of this peace so that our thoughts could answer this to the standard of the perfection of our Heavenly Father. And to answer this, we stopped to study this following question. According to which signs should we judge ourselves that we are the sons of peace and therefore sons of God? Because only through the reign of the peace of God in our heart should we test ourselves that we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And with this we have known that if a, if a person has not died to his nation, the house of his father, and his carnal life, 
then his justification, which he has accepted in salvation and faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a deposit, will never transfer into the quality and format of righteousness in which he would receive the ability to be clothed in the inheritance of the peace of God in order to offer fruits of peace in his righteousness. And therefore, for these people will be taken the crown of righteousness prepared to them, giving them the right to the inheritance of peace in which they could be called sons of God. Revelation 3.11 Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. We must remember that the promise of the peace of God gains its powers and its legitimacy in our heart only through the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which lays a responsibility on both sides of the covenant in which each of the sides of the covenant is responsible for the fulfillment of its role established by God in this covenant of peace. And if one of the sides violates the agreement noted in the covenant of peace between God and man, and this violator can only be the the side of man, and the second side in the face of God is released from the responsibility to fulfill the agreement in this covenant of peace. And therefore, the fruit of righteousness yielded in our heart as the peace of God is evidence that we are the sons of peace, which serves for God as a basis to fulfill His part in the covenant of peace, which is comprised of leading us into the inheritance of His Son, so that we could share with Him the fulfillment of all that was written of Him in the Prophets and the Psalms. And so we are continuing to study what conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to cooperate with the godliness of God or our goodness to cooperate with the goodness of God and what we must do for this so that we can turn upon ourselves the godliness of God upon ourselves and the selected love of God. This is to to listen to God in His preached word. And Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. This is to be satisfied by what is good and our soul delight itself in abundance. To be delighted in abundance or in the fat of the preached word of God means to be comforted and rejoice in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in the truth of the preached word. Only in that case when a person has acknowledged the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ and the twelve pearly gates can God anoint him with the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31.6 In other words, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit 
and the dignity of wisdom that comes from above can dwell only in the boundaries of truth of the reigning teaching of Christ, which is also the format of the wisdom of the Holy God. And in practice, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit in the format of the wisdom that comes from above can be given by God only to that person in whose heart abides wisdom in the dignity of the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ. And this union of two formats of wisdom in the heart can be had only by a person who through attentive listening to the word of God or the messengers of God came to the full measure of the stature of Christ. The New Jerusalem is an image of the Bride of the Lamb, an image of the new man, created by God in Christ Jesus, in righteousness and holiness of truth, which has an organized partaking to the image of the Bride of the Lamb in the face of the chosen remnant of God. A person who has been created by God with such a need and with such a purpose to build himself into perfection that is inherent to the image and likeness of God through the attentive listening to the word of God and the need to eat of his good word, to, be, to satisfy his soul with the abundance of this good word, to attentively listen to the anointed word is the price that we are called to pay for the right so that this good word could become for us the bread of life in abundance for our soul. And then this price is expressed in the voluntarily and joyful obedience and acknowledgement over of oneself of the authority of that person who represents for us the authority of God. And of course, to know who we must attentively listen to in order to eat the goodness of the word and to be satisfied by the abundance of this good word, it is necessary to know the criteria and characteristics of true anointing in order to distinguish it from forgery. Otherwise, we will accept for anointing the power of the Holy Spirit the manifestation of the supernatural power of the evil one in men that replaces the anointing power of the Holy Spirit in some. We must be enlightened in that the anointing of God in men in the dignity of His authority according to its appearance, its purpose, and the level of its expression can be merciful as well as punishing and destructive. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. 
for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for their God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. In this case, we see that the format of anointing is presented in each human authority that is necessary to build order, order in the world that can be perfected by the Church of Christ, that can perfect the Church of Christ and the Bride of the Lamb. We have numerously noted that the political systems of the world that replace one another in bloodthirsty wars is on one hand the atmosphere necessary for building the body of Christ in a spiritual dwelling in a holy place and on the other hand this is the harvest that the people have sown in other words all of the technological achievements natural inflations, all kinds of illnesses, hunger, revolutions, and wars. This is the harvest and atmosphere that is necessary for the building of each individual person, person into the body of Christ, into a spiritual dwelling in a holy place. And all of this is the result of the destructive authority of anointing given by God to individual people in, as kings, dictators and presidents called to bring the world into the depth of the anger of God. Now the Lord said to him, Go, turn your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the word of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. First Kings chapter 19, verses 15 through 17. The anointing given by God to man in the format of authority depends on the state in which the heart of God is found. And the state of the heart of God depends on the relationship of His people toward people who represent the fatherhood of God. When the people of Israel, they had rejected Samuel and they asked for him to give them a king as the surrounding nations, then in the face of Samuel, who represented the fatherhood of God, they rejected God so that he could not reign over them. And God anointed for them a king in his anger, and he rejected him in his anger. Hosea chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other? that he may save you in all your cities. And your judges to whom you said, Give me a king and princes. Now I give you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. 
And the essence of this anointing formulated by Apostle Paul in one of his uh, sermons turned to Israel. And afterward they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. For this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Acts chapter 13, verses 21 through 23. According to this sermon, we are also met with another kind of anointing when God anointed David with a st- in the state of his heart that was inclined toward David. We must know that each person that has a partaking to the body of Christ is anointed by God for the fulfillment, for his perfection in the body of Christ in his role. Under the condition that this person is found in voluntary dependence and the anointing of apostles and prophets. Second Corinthians chapter one verses twenty through twenty two. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Returning to the price, giving the opportunity to turn upon ourselves the favor of God, contained in the attentive listening to the good word of God so that our soul can be satisfied by the oil of this good word or the anointing power of this word. Pastor gives us a definition of the anointing power of God that is contained in the truth of of the word and belongs to kings, priests, and prophets of the Most High. First, Anointing is the sovereign authority of the Holy Spirit. This is the union of the truth of the Word with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is holy fragrance. It is the wisdom of God giving the authority to know God. It is the authority of God passed on to man. It is the immunity of the Holy Spirit passed along to man. It is the legal right to draw near to God. It is the ability to fulfill our calling. It is the ability to distinguish the good of God from all forgery. It is truth in action. It is the protection of God from the danger of the second death. It is the weapon of warfare. It is the anointing grace of God. And therefore, to summarize this list, anointing is the union of two formats of wisdom and the dignity of Thumim and Urim. Anointing is the authority of the Most High that is called to clothe us in the powers of the Most High in order to dedicate us by way of separation from a regular life to the fulfillment of the calling given to us by God, which is the will of the Most High for us. Again, I want to repeat this thought. 
Anointing is the power of the Most High that is called to clothe us with the powers of the Most High, to dedicate us by way of separating us from an ordinary life to the fulfillment of the calling given to us by God, which for us is the will of God. Exodus 40, verses 13-15 You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. And you shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. The essence of this anointing is comprised of the realization of the redemption of a person from the authority of sin and death, so that we could take off and destroy in our body the power of sin and death in the face of the old man with his works and put in its place the power of eternal life. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1-3. through 3. The power of the anointing given to us by God is the truth of the blood of Christ in union with the truth of the cross of Christ. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Walking in the light is walking in anointing, which refers to such communication with one another, in which we forgive one another, just as God forgiven us in Christ. And if we walk in the light, just as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And if the truth about the blood of Christ was called to cleanse our conscience from all sin, then the truth about the cross of Christ is called to deal with reigning sin in the face of the old man, yielding in our body the power of death, in order to cast him out of our body into the underworld. And in this manner, by the power of the anointing word, to make in our earthly body the basis for the building of the power of eternal life by the power of the resurrection of Christ. And the weapon of anointing, which is called to enable the truth about the blood of Christ in union with the truth of the cross of Christ, is the rod of our lips that proclaims the faith, or rather, 
the truth of our heart. That if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. Furthermore, we must know that the power of the anointing word in our heart is the power of the anointing grace of God, which has reigned in our heart through the fruit of righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Studying the essence of, of anointing grace, we have paid attention on numerous occasions that the grace of God is not something abstract which we can't define, but that the anointing grace of God is in fact a certain bond of all that God is for us. It is a certain and unchanging goal toward which God strives. It is the definition of all that which comes from God. It is a certain and unchanging law of God. It is a certain and unchanging order of the kingdom of heaven. It is a certain teaching about the kingdom of heaven. It is a definition of all that which comes from which the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is comprised. All of these definitions of the anointing, authority, the grace of God of the Most High gain their legal rights in a covenant of God with man, which, first, the law of grace flows from the law of Moses, second, the law of grace opposes the law of Moses, third, the law of grace is exalted over the law of Moses, Fourth, the law of grace replaces the law of Moses. Fifth, the law of Moses replaces the law of Moses. Sixth, the law of grace is independent on the law of Moses. Seventh, the law of grace is stricter than the law of Moses. In Hebrew, the word grace presented in the anointing power of the reigning teaching of Christ defines the inheritance of a covenant contained in the promises of God, which points to the fact that through the anointing power of the grace of God, founded on the greatness of the new covenant, God has cared for and has prepared for a person the inheritance in the subject of full salvation of his spirit, his soul, and his body. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23-24 through 24, From which it follows that there were there lacks mutual bonds of the covenant, the anointing authority of grace does not have its legal field because of which the authority of the anointing grace of God gained its power 
in the following components. First, in a mutual covenant with God made in the or taking of oneself in the death of Christ. Mark 16, 16, who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Second, the authority of the reigning grace, of the anointing grace, gains its power at the Passover of the Lord in which is presented the new covenant. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Third, according to Scripture, even this kind of covenant, as we have already established, a person cannot make where he wants or when he wants, but only when he finds a good wife. Under the good wife is a kind of local church of Christ, which does not separate itself from the unanimity of faith and from the... Uh, universal faith, which is Catholicism, and only having found a good wife in the face of the congregation of saints, the, the infrastructure which would represent the divine order of theocracy, we have the ability to build ourselves into a spiritual dwelling, into a holy place in order to offer spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God and Christ Jesus. And therefore, a covenant with God that cares for the legal framework for the authority of the anointing grace of God in us is presented in a good wife. The, he who finds a good wife has found grace from the Lord. Proverbs 18.23 A wife that does not accept her husband as the head or who does not show faithfulness to her husband cannot be a good wife. And this is referring to the congregation of saints that did not acknowledge the person who represents the fatherhood of God, but follow some kind of person that has called himself or they themselves choose teachers that would flatter their ears. We should never forget that all promises which are our inheritance in Christ Jesus can be realized by us only through our partaking of to the chosen remnants of God and only through acknowledging the anointing power of the word of those people whom God has established to tend to his church. Again, let us read this place of scripture. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. According to these words, so God gave the anointing power of the word to represent the promise which we are called to inherit in Christ Jesus, and to others, God gave the anointing power through instruction of faith to inherit these promises. The attempt to transfer roles and, the, and callings that are contained in the anointing power given to us by God for some and for others meant means to be resisting the will of God and the loss of inheritance 
contained in these promises. And in order to, to bring up the picture, Pastor Arkady focuses her attention to the parable of ten virgins. We know that any parable about the kingdom of heaven found in Holy Scripture is multi-planned given that it simultaneously represents the image of a certain category of people as well as the image of a certain person. And with regard to the studying of the definition and purpose of the anointing power of the grace of God presented in this parable, we will look at the ten virgins from which five were wise and five foolish in one specific man. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. First, to be a virgin means to be pure, or rather to be unblemished by sin, meaning to be righteous. Second, both virgins had oil, which means that one and the other, the the wise and the foolish, they had the anointing authority for the fulfillment of their calling. Third, the oil and the dignity of the anointing power in the lamps of the foolish virgins, as well as in the lamps of the lamps and vessels of the wise, is the union of two formats of the wisdoms of God, the meme and the dignity of the truth in Urim, in the dignity of the Holy Spirit, who unveils the meaning of the truth in our heart. Fourth, the number five in Scripture is an image of the governing presented in the fivefold ministry. Therefore, five wise virgins are the is the image of the rational capabilities of our new man created by God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth. Whereas the five foolish virgins is an image of the rational capabilities of our soul made dependent 
on the rational capabilities of our new man. Fifth, the dream of one of the, or the slumber of one, one category of virgins and the others incriminated is not incriminated for these as sin because this is the time allowed for God to be perfected in the image of God. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Sixth, the cry that came out saying, the bridegroom is coming, is not the time that in the middle of the night could not serve as an image of rapture. The sound in the middle of the night is the time of the revelation of the promise that relates to the door of our hope. When in our earthly body will be erected the power of life. Seventh, the reason why the foolish virgins in the subject of the rational capabilities of our soul could not partake to the promise that relates to the door of our hope is comprised of the fact that flesh and blood in its current state cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Eighth, wise virgins that have came out to the feast with the doors closed behind them is an image of the time in which the rational capabilities of our new man and the dignity of the mind of Christ are going to be placed above all the belongings of God as well as including our earthly body. Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 to 47. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. It is this thought, or this idea, that motivated Christ to speak the parable about the ten virgins in order to explain how our new man is going to be placed over all the belongings, which is seen in chapter 25, then the kingdom of heaven will be likened to ten virgins. Our earthly bodies that have undergone redemption is going to the sovereign territory of the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Furthermore, to turn upon ourselves the goodness of God in the selective love of God, it's necessary to not forget the instruction of our Father and to keep His commandments in our heart. Proverbs 3, verses 1-4 through 4. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of man, in the sight of God and man. Here the phrase, mercy and truth, do not forsake you, is referring to the expression of mercy and truth toward our neighbors or our behavior and our relationship toward our neighbors. It is specifically thanks to mercy demonstrated in the boundaries of truth together in the body of Christ that the blood of Jesus Christ 
receives the legal right to cleanse us from sin. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Considering that the cleansing of our essence from sin occurs if we have communication with one another under the condition that we walk in the light of truth in which God dwells. And therefore, we are referring to a form of a kind of mercy toward one another that can occur solely in the boundaries of righteousness, which is the holiness of truth. And without the expression of this kind of mercy toward one another, conducted in the light of righteousness or the boundaries of righteousness, God will not have any basis to demonstrate to us His mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. In Scripture, the word mercy comes from the root to care for, to prepare, to provide. And in Hebrew, the word mercy means faithfulness, loyalty, compassion, loyalty, mercy, or kindness. This word is wide according to its meaning and definitions. It highlights the correct relations that must be between people, or rather between man and God, bound by a mutual uh, by a mutual bind or a covenant. This word contains the meaning of goodness and mercy, as well as the meaning of loyalty and faithfulness. And depending on the context, it highlights one or the other meaning and opposes lies. Thus, for the instruction of the Father in the dignity of mercy and truth to demonstrate toward one another it is necessary to bind mercy and to bind our neck with mercy and truth and engrave them on the tablets of our heart. And in order to bind mercy and truth of God in our neck and to engrave the essence of truth and mercy on the tablets of our hearts and to not forget the commandments and instruction of the Father and to keep it in our heart, it is necessary to tend to the thoughts of our Father. Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon, for why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? Songs of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. The thing is, is that expressing mercy toward one another in the boundaries of the truth of the word, in doing so, we allow the, we give the Holy Spirit the legal right to dwell in our heart and to fulfill our heart with the peace of God. If we do not express mercy toward one another in the boundaries of truth of the written word of God, we are going to forsake ourselves to loneliness and isolation from communication with one another as well as communication with God. And again, I will repeat this thought once more. 
if we do not demonstrate mercy toward one another in the boundaries of truth the written word of God we will forsake ourselves to loneliness and isolation from communication with one another as well as from communication with God the revelation to demonstrate mercy in the boundaries of truth toward one another in order to meet with God and gain communication with God we can gain none other than by tending to the sheep along the tents of our shepherds which are the image of our thinking now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush so he looked and behold the brush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed. This thought to tend to the sheep of our father we find in the relationship of David with his father Jesse, which helped him to overcome the lion and the bear. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. First Samuel chapter 17 verses 34 through 36 considering that the images for us considering that these images for us having the salvation of Christ Apostle Paul he Apostle Paul makes these dependent on the relationship of the Church of Christ with himself as well as the relationship of the Father with the sin. First Corinthians chapter four verses fourteen through seventeen. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children I warn you. For though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, you do not yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have been gotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. First Corinthians chapter four verses fourteen through seventeen. The ways of Apostle Paul as a person clothed in the fatherhood of God, which Timothy had to remind of so that the Church of Christ could imitate the Apostle Paul just as he imitates Christ, is our sovereign right for the right and decision to imitate the person who represents for us the fatherhood of God just as he imitates Christ. And this kind of imitation is comprised for us to be able to bind our necks with truth in the boundaries of the truth of the Word of God and to write them on the tablets of our heart just as this is done by the specific person who imitates Christ who represents for us the fatherhood of God. Without his instruction which he has received the revelation of the Holy Spirit in his heart 
as reader, we will not have any chance to bind our necks with mercy in the boundaries of truth and write them on the tablets of our heart. This is the unchanging order yielding the rule of the Heavenly Father as well as the atmosphere of the Kingdom of Heaven. Trying to ignore it or justifying ourselves with the human phrase, all people are mistaken in doing so. We do not trust man nor God and challenge God. John 13, 20, Most assuredly I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. John 13, 20. And again, He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Those who cause separations against the teaching of Christ, they are led by those who choose themselves by weight of votes, and they have no relation whatsoever to the ways of peace. Under neck, we are referring to the will of a person, things to which a person can accept the, can make the rational decision to coincide with the instruction of the Father, to bind his his neck with mercy and truth and engrave it on the tablets of his heart. The tablets of our heart is the sphere of our conscience. And in order to engrave on these tablets mercy, which we are called to demonstrate toward one another in the boundaries of truth of the reigning teaching of Christ, the will is necessary. The will of a person, according to its nature, is stiff. And if we ourselves and not someone else do not bind our necks with mercy in the boundaries of the truth of Scripture and we do not engrave them on the tablets of our heart, our names will be blotted out of the book of life. Because of which the crown of righteousness will be taken from us and we will lose our salvation. Therefore, the verb to bind in relation to our neck in Hebrew has several unique interpretations. To bind our our will with the binds of the covenant of blood and salt to make it dependent on the spirit of our mind. This is to make an agreement against our will with the abilities of the Holy Spirit to turn our will into servant of righteousness or to free it from slavery unto sin behind which stands the old man. Whereas the verb to engrave or to write in relation to the tablets of our heart in Hebrew means to engrave, to write, to establish a law for oneself. And furthermore, In order to turn upon ourselves the mercy of God in the selective love of God, it is necessary through the truth that dwells in our heart to turn upon ourselves the mercy of God in His goodness 
Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Psalms chapter 85, verses 10 through 14. Truth can come out from the from the earth only under one condition. If we are going to be capable of submitting to the Heavenly Father in spirit and truth that dwells in our heart and the identity of the reigning teaching of Christ. And then, our prayer that meets the requirements of truth as come from the earth of our heart, the mercy of God and the dignity of righteousness will come upon it from heaven. As the result of the meeting between truth that dwells in our heart with mercy that has come from heaven, the Lord will turn our land and the dignity of our earthly body He will turn His favor upon it. And then, the reigning and destructive power of the goodness of the Lord will destroy in our earthly body the power of death and will cast out from our earthly body the old man and in place of the power of death will erect the power of righteousness by the power of the resurrection of Christ because of which our land or our earth in the dignity of our body in which will be erected the power of righteousness will yield its fruit, which will be expressed in the perfection of our Heavenly Father to shine with the Son of Justice on the just and on the unjust and to pour out rains on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Job chapter 37, verses 11 through 14. In order to turn upon ourselves the goodness of God and the selective love of God, it is necessary to grow in the knowledge of God. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. And according to these words, it follows that the level of the goodness of God toward man depends on the level of his spiritual growth. The level of spiritual growth depends on the level of the knowledge of the essence of God and His goals expressed in His will. Whereas the level of the knowledge of God depends on the level of our obedience to the preached word of men presented by God in the body of Christ. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of each individual person in the body of Christ to a perfect man in the full measure of the stature of Christ. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working, by which every part does its share, 
causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And according to this concept, the level of the goodness of God toward each individual person in the body of Christ depends on the level of correct relations between one another, things to which we can receive partaking to the body of Christ for the building of one of ourselves in the love of God. I think we will conclude at this and we are going to pray. May the Lord bless us in our prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for the opportunity to be in the fellowship of your people on this place that has been blessed by you, which your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. I thank you for your presence. I praise you with my whole heart. I worship before your holy temple. And I thank you for your mercy and for your truth. For you have magnified your word above all of your name. Thank you. We thank you that you teach us to listen to your word in reverence, with trembling, preparing our hearts to hear your word. Blessed is the Lord and God our Father, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing of heaven and who has blessed us according to his abundant mercy has given birth to us the redemption of Christ to a living hope to an imperishable inheritance pure unfading kept in heaven for us we thank you Lord that you have given us all that is necessary for life and godliness through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for these promises through which we have been partakers of God's essence. Therefore, let us, applying all our strength and energy, being clothed in your holy selective love of God, allow us to show in our faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. If this is in us and multiplies, then we will not be left without fruit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And faithful is the one who calls us, who will do these things for us. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this great mercy that has been demonstrated toward us. Let our soul bless the Lord and all of our inner parts. Let them praise the holy name of God. Let our soul bless the Lord and not forget all of his good works. For he forgives all of our iniquities. He heals all of our wounds and he delivers our life from the grave. He gives us mercy and abundance. He satisfies us with our good desires. Just like an eagle, our youth is renewed. We thank you, Father, that our youth is renewed just like an eagle's, and that our spirit, soul, and body, let them be kept without blemish in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And faithful is the one that calls upon us that will fulfill these things. We thank you, Lord, that you do all of this and you do all of this through your preached word, through your great gifts that you have placed in your church. We praise you, Lord, for this great mercy and for this privilege demonstrated to your chosen remnants. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that this imperishable state, this perishable state is clothed in imperishability and corruption and incorruption. And we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we call the inexistent as existent. And you impute this to us as righteousness. We thank you. We praise you and we magnify your name. For from your divine power you have given us this great mercy and grace. We thank you that you teach us through your word. You teach us to listen to your word in reverence, with trembling, so that we can prepare our hearts to hearing your word. May your mercy and truth be magnified in us. We thank you for that word, Lord, that you send and give to us. May your word be blessed, which you have prepared for your chosen remnants on Friday and Sunday. We thank you for this word. Let our hearts be prepared to attentively listen and heed to these anointed words of yours that you give to us. We praise you and thank you and bow down before you, our dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.